You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Welcome, friends. My name is Spencer, and I am the pastor here. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 4. This is our uh, last week in the series. This is part four of four as we've been going through this this series, and uh, we're going to wrap this up today. We've been uh, on the series, not for me, for the last four weeks. Not for me. Uh, we, we've been talking through this because really there's, there's two ways to live your life. Uh, you can live for yourself, or you can live for others. And so we've been teasing out this question of what does it take to uh, be the kinds of people who don't live for ourselves? And to ask this question and to tease this out, we've been looking at the life of Jesus. Because when you look at Jesus and what he did in his life, you see kind of these two things he does. One, one hand, Jesus is always living for other people. He's always making choices that bless other people and benefit other people and, and sharing this good news of the kingdom with other people. And at the same time, Jesus had this way of tending to certain things in his life. We, we call these things spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, these habits that he had where he developed um, his, his own relationship with, with God, his own soul. He tended to these things. And historians, scholars, uh, theologians have long noted there is this connection between how Jesus tended to these things personally and privately and, and uh, this life that he lived for other people. And so we've been exploring this connection and, and looking at these, these uh, spiritual practices and disciplines that help us grow into becoming the kinds of people who don't live for ourselves, but live for others. And so as we go through this, um, traditionally, Christians have, have talked about spiritual practices. This is really what the series is about, is spiritual practices. Uh, Christians have talked about spiritual practices in, in two big buckets, kind of two big buckets of how spiritual practices fall. And these are really churchy words that I'm about to give you, certainly probably not words that you normally use, but here's kind of the traditional language around these two buckets that, that Christians have talked about spiritual practices. The first is this, works of piety. And so if we talk about uh, works of piety, this is the kinds of things, again, real churchy kind of word, but uh, the kinds of things that we do to, to be like one-on-one -on -one with God. I read my Bible, I pray, uh, I worship. We talked about fasting last week. These are works of piety. These are the things that you do one-on-one -on -one to, to grow your heart to God. And when we think about spiritual practices, generally this is what we think about is this big bucket of, of uh, spiritual practices. But there's another big bucket that Christians have talked about. For as long as there's been Christians who talked about these two big buckets, and the second one is, is this, works of piety and then works of mercy. And uh, works of mercy are these things that we tend to, these, these practices that we have that are 
facing towards other people and geared towards helping other people, serving the poor and the vulnerable, uh, working towards justice, ways of, of sharing the good news and, and serving folks. And this is what these works of mercy uh, would be. And, and really, what, if you want to grow, the, the truth is you have to pay attention to both buckets. Because both buckets are, vi- are, are vital to becoming the kind of person who doesn't just think about themselves, but is somebody who, who thinks about others and is growing towards what God has for them and their purpose in their life. And so um, as we're, we're working through this on this last week, this is only four weeks in the series, this last week, we're going to talk about some, some works of mercy, this, this other bucket. Because when you look at Jesus, he tended to this bucket just as much as he tended to his prayer life. And sometimes we maybe think about the things that are in this works of mercy bucket as not in the same kind of way of, as like your prayer life or how you read the Bible, but really they're, they're, they're just, they're just go hand in hand and how it is that we grow together. And so we're going to look today, again, this is four week series. I could have done 12 weeks on what Jesus did in his life. And so we had to edit some of this down. So we're going to look at today kind of one big, I'm just going to use like an umbrella term for how we see Jesus paying attention to the works of, of mercy kinds of activities in his life. And we're going to look at one in particular. We could have looked at others, but we're going to look at one in particular. And uh, this is, again, an umbrella kind of term for how we get to how Jesus talked about works of mercy. So let's jump into this. Matthew 4, I want to show you uh, this work of mercy, this, this uh, spiritual practice that Jesus tended to just as much as he tended to his prayer life. He did this. Uh, Matthew 4, start reading in verse 13. It goes like this. It says, Leaving Nazareth, that is, leaving home, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. In case you're wondering where Capernaum was, that's where it is. It's by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Oh, that's where it is. I forgot. Okay. Well, it's the, um, to fulfill, he goes on, to fulfill what was said to the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. This should sound familiar. We kind of read this kind of thing at Christmas time, Isaiah. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This is what Jesus does. He brings light. And then I want you to hear verse 17. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I wanted to start here. We're going to springboard this into lots of other passages because I just, I wanted you to see this this glimpse of, of this thing that Jesus does because Jesus does this thing a lot. And this thing here is preach. Jesus does this all the time. He tends to it. He, he develops this. He practices this. He, he has a habit of doing this just like he has a habit of his prayer life. And so let me show you how Jesus does this a lot. Matthew 11 is another example of this. Jesus said, had finished instructing his 12 disciples. He went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Mark 1, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So we traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons, driving out demons. Mark 2, they gathered in such large numbers, there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them, Luke 4, and he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And I could keep going on this for a long, long time because Jesus does this a lot. This is a, one of those things that when you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus having this habit where he, where he preached on and on and on all the time. He, he tended to do this. And Jesus had an expectation that his followers would also preach. Mark uh, 16, for instance, Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He's saying this to all of his followers, not just some of his followers. Everyone, if you're a follower of Jesus, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And there you have it. An expectation for everybody. Everybody. So you have this, uh, this, this 
this habit that Jesus has that he develops, um, he preaches all the time. And I, I wanted to, to capture this second bucket of uh, works of mercy with this, with this idea of preaching uh, for, for two reasons here. Um, one, I wanted to use this word because this is an uncomfortable word for most of us. When I say that Jesus has an expectation that all of his followers, like all of his followers uh, preach, some of you are like, mm, not me. That's not me. We pay you to do that. No, that's not my job. We pay you to do that. That's what you do. But really, there's an there's expectation that all of his followers do this. And, and the second reason I wanted to, to, to use this word is that while we maybe define this word quite narrowly, uh, this is actually a, a uh, broad term in the New Testament that means far more than you think it does. And in fact, all of his followers of Jesus, every follower of Jesus, no matter um, how long you've been following Jesus, that if you're going to grow as a follower of Jesus, preaching is going to be one of those habits, those disciplines, those practices that you tend to and pay attention to in your life just as much as you pay attention to prayer. It's going to be one of those things that if you want to grow, this is one of those things that you are going to develop just as much as your prayer life or how you read the Bible or if you fast or worship or any other spiritual practice. It is paramount to that. But the thing is, uh, and this is why I wanted to, to pull on this word, is that preaching, it means far more than you think it does. Did you know that in the New Testament, there are 33 different Greek words that we have translated into the English word preach or proclaim? 33 different Greek words that we have translated into the English word preach or proclaim. Like this is a broad term in the New Testament that we have come to define it quite narrowly as in that's what Spencer does when he stands up and we give him a microphone and we sit and we listen to a sermon. Like this is a form of preaching, but in the New Testament, preaching comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes and is something that every follower of Jesus is called to do and to develop in their life, a life of preaching. Let me just show you this broadness just from Jesus's life, just from Jesus's life. Here's, here's just a few examples. Jesus preached formal sermons. We know that like he did what I'm doing right now. Uh, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven is an example of that. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. He stood up, or actually he sat down. Everyone else stood up. That's what they did in, in those days. And he preached a long sermon explaining the ways of God. That's what Jesus did. But that's not the only kind of preaching that Jesus did. Um, Matthew chapter nine, listen to this. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, uh, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming, that's a word that's often translated as preach in some translations, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Now, it could sound like if you read this verse, it could sound like what Jesus is doing is he's going from town to town to town, gathering a crowd together, and then preaching a sermon to them. But actually, the context of this verse is that Jesus finds people who are hurting and in need, and he meets a physical need of theirs. And this is the context of, of how it is that he shares the good news of the kingdom with them, is that he meets a practical, physical need that they have in their life. This is how he preaches to them. That's the context of Matthew 9. Here's another one. This is Mark uh, chapter 1. It says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Once again, it could sound like from this verse that what Jesus is doing is he's drawing people together and saying, hey, I got a sermon. I've been working on this for like two weeks. Come here, my, my, my sermon. I got a sermon series. It's going to be so good. No, that's not what Jesus does. Instead, what the context of this is, is he found some fishermen who weren't, had probably, I don't know if they were very good or not. I just tend to think that they weren't because Peter wasn't good at a lot of things in his life. So he found some fishermen. Maybe they were good at fishing. I don't know. 
and he invites them to come and follow him and be his disciple. The context of this is that Jesus is developing a one-on-one mentoring relationship with someone. He's building a relationship with someone, and this is how he preaches the good news of the kingdom of God in this context. Like preaching in the Bible, it comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and you see this even in Jesus' own life. Sometimes it's formal sermons, it is. Sometimes it's inviting people to follow him by building one-on-one relationships. Sometimes Jesus' preaching is by healing people of, of physical needs and meeting their physical needs. Sometimes his preaching is when someone asks him a question and he gives an answer. Sometimes his preaching is when he goes to a dinner party full of sinners and he spends time with people. Sometimes his preaching is when he tells stories that draw people closer to, to God and have them think new thoughts about the Lord. Like Jesus' preaching, it, it comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. It is a broad broad word. And and if you boil down in a biblical sense what preaching is, really what it is in in a very basic broad sense, it's just simply all the ways that you and I invite people to come and experience the kingdom of God. That's really what it is. It's all the ways that we invite people to come experience the kingdom of God. And this happens in all kinds of ways. It's not just formal sermons that we have. And this is why every follower of Jesus is called to preach because all of us have a role of inviting people to come and experience the the kingdom of God. And yet I I have a hunch that if like that's the simple idea of what preaching is, I I have a hunch that this is still something we struggle with. And um, I have that hunch for a few reasons. Um, a few years ago, there was this, this big study done, and um, you know, one of the ways we might invite people to come and experience the, the kingdom of God is maybe you invite people to church. That's a simple way that you might do this. And so a few years ago, there was this big study done that found that uh, 2%, 1-2, 2% of regular church attendees in America would invite someone to church in a given year, 2%. And the same study found that 86% of adults who go to church go to that church because someone invited them. Like there's a, a mismatch there. And I, I just, I don't know, I'm from Missouri. You got to show me some things. And I, I sometimes am a little, a little suspicious of statistics and, and people, especially pastors, like throughout statistics, I'm always a little suspicious. So I'm, I'm okay if you're suspicious on those statistics because I am as well, just a little bit. But, but even if you're a little suspicious of statistics, like even if that's like roughly true, that would tell me that we have a, a struggle sometimes with this idea that all of us are called to invite people to come and participate in the kingdom of God. Like all of us struggle with what this means and what this looks like in our life, that we have a role to play in this. And yet, if we're going to grow, if we're going to become the people that God wants us to be and to, to live into the life that he has for us, this is one of those things that we are going to pay attention to. We're going to develop. We're going to practice. We're going to tend to it just like we tend to our prayer life. So I don't know why it is we struggle with this, but I, I have a theory I don't know if you're interested in theories, but I have a theory about why we struggle with this. And um, to explain my theory about why we struggle with this, I want us to look at a a very famous quote. I, I bet you've heard this before. It's a very old quote. And here's the quote. This is from St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Who's heard this quote before? Can you just raise your hand if you've heard this quote? I mean, I've seen this quote on bumper stickers. I've seen it on T-shirts. I've seen it on church signs. I've just, I mean, I've seen this quote um, in lots and lots of places. 
Uh, there's a problem with this quote. I don't know if you knew this or not, but there's a problem with this quote. And the problem is that St. Francis, from all historical sources we know, never said this. And the other problem is that the people who study St. Francis of Assisi, they say that he would never have said this because it doesn't even fit into his theology. Uh, St. Francis, the great innovation that he brought to the church was that he brought preaching back to the church. He was the Billy Graham of his day. And so he would never have said this kind of thing. But somewhere along the line, this quote caught on and people heard it and they loved it. And uh, I, I think the reason we loved it is because when we read it, we're like, whew, I don't have to say anything about God now. This is fantastic. If I just do good things, I don't have to say anything about God. This just made all of my relationships a lot less awkward is what we think when we hear this quote. And so we're like, and look, a saint said it. So if a saint said it, surely it's right. Except he didn't, and he wouldn't have, and we don't know where it came from. And, and what it does, this, this quote, what it, what it does, if you, if you think about it, is it sets up a, a dynamic where, like, what you do, your, your, we'll call it your deeds, um, is, is separated from what you say, like, which is your words. And it's almost as if you have this dynamic that we've established that if you just like do good things, I'm going to serve the poor and the vulnerable. I'm going to live a good Christian life. I'm not going to gossip about people or lie about people. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do good things. It, it, that's good enough. And I just hope people will catch it. Um, and um, I don't then have to actually invite them to come and participate in the kingdom of God. I don't have to share why it is that God has changed my life or how he's done it or why they should care about it or pray for people when I come across them. Like I don't have to do those things. And so I have a theory that, uh, that maybe we have a struggle with this because we've separated our deeds, the things that we do for the Lord, from our words, the way that we talk about the Lord. That's my theory about why we struggle with this. When in reality, our deeds, what we do for the Lord, and our words, how we talk about the Lord, are, are intimately connected. Let me show you this, how they're connected. And let's, let's look at this through a chart that, that I've made for, for this, this morning. So a simple chart. Let's, let's see this. Here's a simple chart. We've got words on the bottom, deeds on the left. And as you go higher on the chart, that would, that would indicate that our de we're doing more deeds. As we go further right on the chart, had to do that a little differently. Right on the chart, that would indicate that you're uh, speaking more about, about God. And so if you do like on the top right corner, for instance... This would be somebody who is both uh, living a life that does good deeds. Uh, they're serving the poor. They're, they're, they're sharing the good news with their words. They're doing both deeds and words. They're living a good Christian life and they're inviting people to church or they're praying for people when opportunities come up. Like they're doing both things. And so I'm just going to label this first box here. I'm just going to call it gospel because this is, this is the way that Jesus lived. Uh, he both did good deeds and he verbally like witnessed and shared and invited people to come and, and follow the Lord. And, and it could be that that is your life. And if so, I just celebrate you that this is your life. And I hope that this is, becomes you more and more, that you have a combination of both good deeds and good words in your life that are working together. But what I found is that, that very few of us live in that box. Um, very few of us in the box. So if you go to another box, maybe let's go to the left. Uh, this would be a, a place where you have... Uh, good deeds, but few words. You serve the Lord, you do good things, you serve the poor, you live a good Christian life, and it's one of those, this is the box where you just like, I hope that people notice. And I just, I labeled this box fear. 
And, and my label of this box fears because this is that, that idea that if I live in this space where my deeds are high, but my words are low, that um, I hope people notice, I don't really need to say much to them. Um, I, just, I just hope that they get it and they can observe from my life that I'm doing good things and that therefore they should follow the Lord as well. And if I'm gonna be honest with you, I have lived so much of my life in that section, that, that little box there. I mean, so much of my life. I could tell you story after story after story where I have had opportunities to say something about the goodness of God and I didn't do it and I drove home later thinking about all the things that I should have said. Does anyone else have those kinds of stories? I, I, I've come sometimes, like I feel like I've become so accustomed to that box that sometimes I don't even realize it until later that I had an opportunity to say something because I wasn't even thinking about it because I've, just, I've lived in that box of just hoping that people notice my good deeds and that's enough. But in reality, it's, it's not enough. I'm just, I'm just afraid of having awkward conversations with people sometimes, or I'm afraid of how people are gonna take it, or I'm afraid that I'm gonna look like, you know, one of those other Christians? You know what I'm talking about, like the pushy kind? And I don't wanna look like one of those like pushy Christians, and so I, like, I, you know, I back off. I'm another box, you keep going, maybe go down where you have low deeds and low words. I'm just gonna call this box um, self because this is one where you just really live for yourself. You're, you're not serving God, you're not serving people, you're, you're not speaking about God, you're just really all about yourself. And again, if I'm gonna be honest, I've spent some time in this box too, where you just, you just do things for you. And then if you go one more box over where you've got um, high words but low deeds, well, this is a dangerous box. I'm just going to call this one hypocrisy. And the, the, the danger of hypocrisy where you um, tell people about God, but you don't actually demonstrate it with your life is an incredibly dangerous place to be because this is a place where you end up pushing people away from God. You cause harm to people in this way. I'll tell you, my greatest failure as a Christian has happened in this box. Um, There's an event that happened about 10 years ago. I think about it still. That's how like, this event has haunted me uh, when I've been in this box. I was having a hard time with my iPhone, and so I went to the Apple store one day. And uh, I went to the guy who's working at the Apple store to come help me with my phone. And did you know that if you work at the Apple store, your job title is genius? Which I'm just like, that's really, really optimistic to label your job title as genius. I just don't think, you're just setting someone up for unrealistic expectations if that's your thing. And so I, I go in, I've got this problem with my phone, they can't solve it. And uh, I get frustrated and I get a little mouthy, which I have a tendency to do. And um, I say something about his job title that's not very helpful. And I won't repeat what I said, but I still think about it. And I walk out mad. And I had this moment as I'm walking out of the store after I said this thing about his genius job title. Uh, I just had this moment where I realized I need to go back and apologize. Like that was that was not good. I did not treat him the way I wanted to be treated. This is not a positive thing at all. And I wish I could tell you that I went back in the store, but I didn't. I was, I just, I kept going. And uh, later that week, that's like on a Wednesday, on Sunday, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I preach every single week. I've got high words. And uh, on that particular church I was serving, we had a Sunday night service, had lots of young people in it, maybe 25 years old, it's kind of the median age. And there was this guy who was involved in the church, very, very regular person, a really committed leader in the church. And, um, I, and, I, and I know he's like, he's very evangelistic and he, like he, he's been telling me about his friends. He's trying to get to come to church and he's praying for them and inviting them. And there's this one friend he's been praying for and inviting. And he's never come. And, and this particular Sunday night, I see my, my friend who's this regular at the church with his buddy with him. And I walk over and, 
And I introduced myself and I said, you, you look familiar. And he says, yeah, I work at the Apple store. You were there this week. Now listen, it took that guy eight years before he came back to church. It's harmful when you live low deeds, but high words. When you preach, but you don't live it, it's a harmful place. And so I have this box here, these four little quadrants of how deeds and words interact. And I think this is a good illustration of, of what the preaching life looks like because it's broad and it looks different for all of us. And if you look at the life of Jesus, what you see Jesus doing is, is he's combining his deeds and his words into this way of living that he tends to this and pays attention to it and develops plans for this and opportunities for this. Just as he does with his prayer life, he does this with his preaching life. And there's an expectation that if you're going to follow him, this is the kind of life you're going to develop as well. And so in this series, as we've been talking through these spiritual practices, each, each week, you know, my goal has been to be practical with you and, and not just you know, give you a spiritual practice, read your Bible more, good luck, and just send you out your way, but, but rather to develop some, some practical ideas. And, and the idea with this series was, what would it be like if we just went to coffee and sitting down over a cup of coffee? What's like the practical pastoral advice that I might offer you if you were to say, Spencer, I want to learn how to be, um, you know, in this kind of person. I want to be the kind of person who invites people to participate in the kingdom of God and shares their faith and, and lives in this kind of way. And so thinking through what that would look like, I was thinking, what would be the kinds of things just over a cup of coffee I might share with you as your pastor if you wanted to develop this more in your life? And uh, as I thought about that, this chart just kept coming to mind in a practical kind of way. We were sitting down over a cup of coffee and I drew out this chart. You know, here's a question I might ask you. Which box describes you? Which box describes you? Maybe it's that gospel box where you're living high deeds. You're living for the Lord. You've got ways that you're serving people and making a difference in the world. And you're inviting people to church. You're sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. You're praying for people, not just like you're praying with people when opportunities come about, you're, you're speaking about the kingdom. If that's you, I just hope that God continues to increase that in your life. Or, or maybe you're in the fear box where you're hoping that people just notice that there's something good about what God has done in your life. You're just hoping that maybe someone will notice and, and you don't have to really say anything to them ever. You're just hoping that they notice. Or maybe you're in the self box where you're just living for yourself. And, uh, or maybe you're in the hypocrisy box where you're, you're living for yourself, but you still have words that um, are leading, trying to lead other people. And, and I just was thinking, what, what would I say to you if you're in these different boxes? And so first I'd say this, if you're in the self or the hypocrisy box, which I've, I'll be the first to admit, I've been in both. Um, my simple pastoral advice to you would just be this. You need to repent. You need to repent. You need to confess. You need to get right with the Lord. You need to bring those things that you're living for yourself where your low deeds are at. You need to bring this to the Lord and you need to confess and ask for his forgiveness. If there's people you've hurt, you need to talk to them and ask for their forgiveness. You need to, con you need to confess, you need to repent, you need to get right with the Lord. That's like step one. But maybe you're in, um, you're in the fear box where I probably spend a lot of my time there. And uh, when I find myself and I become aware that I'm spending a lot of time in that space where I'm just hoping that people notice, um, here's a prayer that I've learned to pray 
I want to offer it to you this morning. And it is a prayer that God has answered every time I've prayed it. Like it's the only prayer in my life that's batting a thousand. Every time I've prayed it, God has answered this prayer. And I've prayed this prayer when I know that I need to kind of stretch myself to be more bold. And so this is a prayer I've come to and I just stretch myself to be more bold. And it's just simply this. And I would offer if, if you are someone who, who would say, I'm kind of in that box, here's a prayer. Just start praying this. Lord, would you bring an opportunity for me to share the good news this week? And if you're feeling really bold, Lord, would you give an opportunity for me to share the good news today? As you start praying that prayer, I promise you, God will bring opportunities before you. He'll bring opportunities for you to speak the good news of the kingdom in someone's life. You need to be ready for it. I mean, don't pray that prayer if you just want to stay stuck in fear, but if you want to move to a, become a kind of person who tends to this life well, that's a prayer that will push you. I just think God loves to answer that prayer. Lord, would you give me an opportunity this week to share the good news? This week, today, share the good news with someone who doesn't know. This is the life of preaching. It's finding all kinds of shapes and sizes and broad understandings of ways that we can invite people to participate in the kingdom of God. And friends, as a follower of Jesus, if you're going to grow, this is going to be one of those habits and disciplines and practices that you're gonna to need to pay attention to. Let's pray together. And so Father, today, um, I wanna pray that bold prayer. Lord, would you give me an opportunity to share the good news this week? And for anyone here this morning who is feeling they need to be stretched in this kind of way, maybe move past fear in their life, would you give them the, the strength to pray this as well, the eyes to start to see that there is a work that you want all of us to do because we're all called to preach. Maybe we're not all called to have a microphone, but we're all called to invite others to, to participate in the good news of the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, this morning, would you bring opportunities to my life, to others' lives who are praying this prayer with me this morning, that this week we might have opportunities to share the good news of the kingdom of God. I thank you that you want to use us and grow us. You want our lives to change and be stretched and transformed continually to follow you. And so, Lord, we give you our lives, we give you ourselves. In the name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen. I had recently torn my ACL and like I couldn't play soccer anymore, which is like the thing that I loved the most. And I went to a new high school, like away from all of my friends. So I felt like I was losing more friendships than I was gaining. And I'm like, I didn't know where to turn. And I didn't know what to do. So I was like also searching for my purpose. Yeah. I decided that I wanted to preach and I didn't know what I wanted to preach about. So I talked to a few friends and I talked to Tim and I talked to my mom and I came across this devotional that um, was over Ecclesiastes and I just realized that that's what I wanted to talk about because it was Solomon talking about how he thought everything was meaningless and he couldn't find his purpose and he didn't know what the point of all of it was. And I related that to my life because I didn't know where I was supposed to turn either. And then it says in the book that Solomon tried to search for meaning through things that were not God. Right. 
which I was doing when I was focusing more on what I didn't have than like looking at God. So then once I like let go of the things that didn't really matter and I started to focus on God is when I really started to like feel Him. And that's what I talked about. Before I like spoke that sermon, I viewed that part of my life that was like really hard for me as like something that I never wanted to go through again. And it was just, it was terrible and nothing good came out of it. But then once I started to like talk about it with other people and like bring it into light, I actually realized that it was like a part of God's plan and it helped me like grow as a person. So you just said, you know, Tim, I'll talk. And then you were like, I don't want to talk about it. And you talked to your mom. Right. Uh, did you talk to anybody else in terms of like trying to nail down what you were going to talk about or? I had a really close friend or like we're still friends, but like, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I talked with them like a lot about it and we just like bounced ideas off of each other and we decided like one day after school that we were just going to like dedicate that to my sermon writing and it was really cool. Yeah. We were sitting in my bedroom and I was like, I am so nervous about this and I don't know what to say. Can you please help me? So I like practiced in front of them and they were like, oh, that's really good. You should add this or like, like point this in there. And I was like, oh, okay. So like, not only did like, I get a good sermon out of it, but like our relationship grew, yeah. which was like really cool. Cause I wasn't expecting that at all. Just having people around me, like supporting me and telling me that I can do it, like boosted my confidence and like made me believe that, oh yeah, I can do it. I can do this. I can get through this. So it's just really good to have that support. A few people have like reached out to me and said like that really like meant something to me. Like I got, you know, those little like youth letter things. Oh yeah. Yeah. Some people sent me some of those and like some adults that were in the room like sent me some really encouraging text messages, which was like, I don't know. It just made me feel like my story actually did something.